Vegas. Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello, hello, and welcome to another edition of the fight game on 1230 The Game. I am your host, Demond Cotton. Running the board today, almost a promotion, if you might say, is my main man, Toby. Toby, thank you for filling in, stepping up and running the board for me today. Of course, always happy to do it. All right, and we've got a packed show for you today. We've got Jesse Merrick from News 3. We're going to be talking and recapping UFC 276. That was this past weekend. Was out there, really enjoyed that. Going to tell you all about that. And also Harry Ruiz. You know him. He's the Spanish broadcast for the Las Vegas Raiders. He also is a huge AEW fan. He's a more hardcore fan, I want to say, than Toby and I put together. So we're going to have Harry on at 1130, and we're going to talk a little AEW. Because Harry's going to be able to fill me in. He's one of those guys, like, I know you can't see him, but walk around the building. He's got his hydro flask, and it's filled to the gills with AEW stickers with merch of the company and the superstars there. They're wrestlers. So Harry's going to be, he's going to let us know everything that we need to know about AEW. But before we get into that, I just want to give a quick recap. Not so much of the fights that I saw at UFC 276. But just the experience that I had, that was my first time covering a UFC event as media. So it was great to be there. So much hospitality extended by the UFC. They had a different setup for me. It was a media tent. So after a fight, fighters would come in and you're in the tent. And that's where you ask your questions. And then you could go inside of T-Mobile Arena if you chose to to watch the fight. Didn't have floor access. Not there yet. Got to work my way up to that floor access when the UFC comes around again. Also was there for UFC Fight Night Media Day today over at the UFC Apex. As man, Rafael Sonios, he's got a fight this Saturday that's going to be at the Apex, going to be out there for that as well. So, you know, steadily, you know, just working up that UFC media ladder. We'll see where it gets me. But before we get Jesse on, I do have me and Toby. We had a little running bet that about Sugar, the Sugar Show. Sean O'Malley, he had the match, he had the fight with Pedro Munoz. At 276, kicked off the main card, you know, so Jesse and I will break down the ins and outs, but you, Toby, I just want your thoughts on this one fight, because Toby is the biggest Sugar fan there is, the biggest one I know, at least. So what did you think about the fight that ended in a no contest due to an inadvertent eye poke? All right, so I believe that the injury the Munoz was caused by a punch, that's what I believe in the first round. Um, I do think he probably got poked in the eye on in the second round when he did uh, end up quitting, by the way, quitting. Anyway, I think that uh, Sugar Sean O'Malley was starting to find his range in the second round. He was winning the fight up to that point. Um, obviously, a disappointing end ended in no contest. But, yeah, I think Sugar Sean O'Malley was definitely winning that fight. I, think he I don't think he would have knocked out Munoz just because of how tough Munoz was, but I do think he would have won it unanimously. So you're saying that Munoz is a tough fighter. This is someone that's been in the octagon with the likes of Jose Aldo, Dominic Cruz, former champions. Mm -hmm. But you're telling me that Sugar Sean O'Malley was just too much for him, and he said, get me out of here. No, he couldn't see. Obviously, he okay, couldn't see. Okay, thank you. No, thank you. I just said that just, you know, bring a little comedy, but yeah. 
we don't play around here, Toby. <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying. You're obviously a big um, Sean O'Malley fan. But and he also, um, I saw it on his Instagram. He's posting, you know, 16-0. and 0. You know, he's clearly thinking that he won the undefeated. fight. Undefeated. Yeah, he, st- he still is undefeated. He did not lose. It's a no contest. Yeah. He still has that zero in the in the loss column. So, hey, he's just 15-0 and 0 and won. So there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we, we are John Jones, his only career defeat to me was, um, I think it was Mark Hamill, where he was delivering some elbows and then he got disqualified, but even though he was handily winning the fight. But we all look at John Jones as, yeah, he st- even though that, that we, he has that L, he's undefeated. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think this was Sean O'Malley's toughest test to this point, but I think he handled it pretty well. He was able to stay at range. I think Munoz should have utilized his kicks a little more. He wasn't able to do that. Sean O'Malley was checking them, though. He was doing a great job of checking them. But, yeah, I think uh, Sean O'Malley proved that he could hang with some of these top ten guys. Yes, and it goes back to the beef that um, Sean O'Malley and Daniel Cormier had a little bit because, hey, Cormier, he had him on the show, DC and RC, and he said, hey, man, I mean it as a compliment that we haven't seen any flaws in your game, so maybe your opponents should start going for the leg kicks because that's the only weakness that we've seen in your armor a little bit. And Sean O'Malley's like, no, I checked the leg kicks too. What are you talking about? He's like, I see what you're saying, but I'm telling you that the leg kicks aren't effective against me. And Munoz was trying to do that a little bit. It's just a little tough because Sean O'Malley, he's got that advantage fighting at 135. He's 5'11", let's just call him six foot. He's six <laughs> foot fighting at 135. And that's going to be a great advantage for you when the champion at 135, Aljamain Sterling right now, I want to say he's listed at 5'7". He's listed at 5'7", so let's take an inch off. Let's, say he's, let's just say he's 5'6". So when you have that advantage with the rest of your competition where you're going to have about five inches on him going into every fight, and then that also lies into the problem where some t- you're trying to cre- create that range with those fingers and you've got to be careful about that to where, hey, man, I know he didn't intentionally poke him in the eye, but when you're just trying to keep your opponent at bay and you have that reach advantage, that's going to that's gonna be something that you have to be in your game plan. You have to realize that, hey, I've got to close my hands when they come in because I don't want to get them in an eye poke. In a fight that I do think in the first two rounds, yeah, he was winning handily because Munoz was not applying any pressure to him. So, of course, that Sean O'Malley, he's winning that He's winning that fight. He would have easily taken that to a decision, I think, and won all three rounds. But, hey, it's about being careful in the octagon. Yeah, I think you could go back to, like, the eye poke thing, and then uh, when you're being – I think you could use Izzy as a great example um, when he outreaches. You know, he reaches out uh, when he's at range and stuff like that. He did it in the Cannoneer fight. Uh, this past Saturday, and I think he's a great example of what to do in those spots. And I think that's just a learning curve for Sean O'Malley. Okay, Toby. So you being on the sugar train, I don't know what you guys call yourself, sugarheads. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, who do you want to see Sean O'Malley fight next? Um, honestly, I don't know. But he has to fight the top contender because we got to see if he's legit or not. I right. agree, one thousand percent. Right. I'll pull up the uh, UFC Bantamweight rankings because I I want to see like who is there next because Munoz this was touted as the hey he's finally fighting someone in the top ten everybody hey it's the top ten don't you worry we're gonna see and we weren't able to see and not to not to anybody's fault I guess I mean and I pokes and I poke but we just weren't able to see I mean so maybe Dominic Cruz I think that'd be that'd be great actually yeah that would be a great fight I'd love to see that. Because Dominic Cruz is currently ranked number eight in the UFC Bantamweight rankings. 
if they really wanted to just, you know, boost them all the way up. You know, Marlon Vera, number five. Corey Sanhagen, number four. These are some of the lists. I don't think they'll throw them to the dogs <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yet. Yeah. Throw, them, <laughs> throw them to the wolves. I am ready for it. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about UFC 276 that was held right here in Vegas at T-Mobile Arena with Jesse Merrick from News 3 in Vegas. Don't go anywhere. No clicking. Welcome back to the fight game. And we are back here on the fight game on 12 30 the game and i'm excited to introduce my next guest from news three right here in las vegas the local nbc affiliate jesse merrick jesse how you doing today hey damon i'm doing well man appreciate you having me on to talk about the fight all right man yeah and ufc 276 t-mobile arena i was spending most of my time in the in the media tent but then i decided hey let me go up and get a feel for this for the atmosphere here sean o'malley's about to start let me see as in wrestling terms they say let me see what kind of pop he's gonna get when he comes out yeah and he got a pop. Are you surprised about the reaction that Sean O'Malley's getting as he's making himself a fan favorite in the UFC? No, not at all. I mean, you know, he's an exciting guy. You know, he's you know he's over the top, and you know his look and what he thrives. You know, he's doing the podcast and everything like that. You know, he's drawing a lot of eyes. You know, to himself, uh, which is great. You know, it's a great marketing strategy, and it's crazy when you look at the fan base that this guy already has, and he's yet to even have a win over somebody in the top ten uh, in his division. So. That's the part that's wild to see the hype that's around him uh, already. I mean, he's doing an unbelievable job marketing himself. Uh, and, you know, and it creates for some exciting stuff. He always goes into his fight looking for some sort of pop, as you said, you know, to try and get something going, get the crowd into it. You know, he's always got his dance to hit the fadeaway on somebody. You know, it's always, it's always exciting watching him. So I, it was a bummer the way that one ended. But having said that, you know, I always love covering any fight card that he's on because, you know, it makes it that much more enjoyable because he's such an interesting guy. So what do you think is next for Sean O'Malley? Because my intern, Toby, here, he's a big sugar head, as I called him, because I don't know what the high school kids are calling themselves, <laughs> but he's a big Sean O'Malley fan. So what do you think is next for him? Because he's got to keep facing that top 10 competition now at this point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we leave this one with kind of a bad taste in our mouth because, you know, again, I was looking forward to seeing what he could do against somebody ranked in the top 10. So, you know, you've got to put somebody else in front of them uh, that's in that top 10. Or maybe you run this fight back. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that would make a whole lot of sense. Um, I, I don't know after this one how much, you know, there's, like in terms of your Dana White, you know, how, how much more can you, you know, give him in terms of somebody, you know, higher in the top 10 or, or lower, however you want to describe that. And that, to me, is the point where maybe you do run this one back, uh, you know, because the, the back and forth between the two of them was good. And, you know, uh, it's also a great matchup, too. So I would say, personally, I'd like to see him run it back um, or, you know, again, give him somebody that's real close, you know, in a top eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. All right, and moving on, on, just sticking with the main card here, Brian Barberina and Robbie Lawler. I want to say this was the most exciting fight on the main card just because you yeah. had two guys, Robbie Lawler, Ruthless. He's going to go in there and he's going to trade with anybody. So what did you think of this fight? Because coming in, I thought Lawler was going to take this one. I did too. And, and even as the fight was going on, you know, through most of uh, through most of that fight, I thought, okay, this is Lawler's fight. You know, he was really taking it to him, landed some massive punches where, I, you know, just like Robbie Lawler's known to do. Um, and, and it looked like he had Barbarina rock, you know, multiple times. I, I think I even looked over at you at one point and said, it's over. You know, it's a wrap. He's going to knock him out. And then Barbarina lands, what, uh, one of the elbows in there. And that kind of shook him in about two minutes into the second round, I believe it was. 
Um, and then that's kind of when the tide really turned in this fight, and Barbarina jumped all over him, kept pushing the pace, and then, you know, was able to put him out with the TKO. I mean, that was uh, an impressive performance by him to take that kind of beating um, and, and stick with it and then able to land one of his own. I, I agree with you, no doubt about it. This was the most exciting fight on the card. You know, it was pegged as this, you know, brawlers, the two brawlers going at it, knockdown, drag out kind of, kind of fight. I mean, it only goes two rounds, but it was still so exciting, you know, to see the back and forth, the exchanges between these two. Uh, and again, like I said, I, I give Barbarina tons of credit for hanging in there because uh, I thought he was done. All right, and with Lawler, he's 40 years old. We saw Cowboy earlier on the card. He retired after losing to Jim Miller as they were fighting for the all-time wins record in the UFC. How much left? How much do you think that Lawler has left in the tank? Yeah, that's what you kind of wonder, right? I mean, that's when you get up to that kind of age and also being the type of fighter that he is. You know, it's not like he's a grappler, uh, you know, or somebody that's kind of, you know, maintained distance and not taking a ton of punishment. I mean, his fight style is not conducive for age, you know, and uh, that you, that's one thing you're not going to beat father time. So I'd imagine, you know, maybe he's got, I don't know, I want to say two to three fights, if that, maybe left in him. Um, I hope he doesn't go anywhere anytime soon because he is exciting to watch. You know, he's that guy that, you know, he's not going to headline a card or anything like that, but anytime he's on there, you're going to want to watch that fight. So I'd like to see him in there a couple, uh, a little bit longer, but I'd say anywhere probably two to three fights would be my guess to where, you know, maybe he does, uh, you know, hang him up. All right, and speaking about hanging him up, Cowboy Cerrone, he also put his gloves down after the fight. What do you think about the type of career that Cowboy had? Because the nickname is fitting because he is one of those fighters that, hey, when you, when you could come into the UFC in those late, mid-2000s, the early aughts, and not have that much talent, but just be a guy who's willing to go in there and bang. Exactly, and that's the thing is that's where it makes for an exciting uh, you know moment for the fans. Anytime one of those guys like that is on the card, you know, and uh, it's a loss for the sport to lose a guy like him. But always so exciting to watch him fight to go out there again. You know, you noted Cowboy, you know, lives up to that and just always going in there grinding, you know, taking the punishment. Always exciting fights. Uh, you hate to see him go out on a loss, you know, uh, it's a tough one. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's still an amazing career. So much fun to have been able to watch that and cover. You know, I think I only covered about two or three of his fights um, over the years since I've been out here. But uh, it, it's just one of those ones where it's like, man, you know, he, again, a father time is undefeated. It gets to a point where you can only take so much punishment and, and you got to hang him up. But, uh, you know, to him, definitely tip of the cap, uh, you know, on one heck of a career and always making things exciting for the fans. Just another guy that really captures the love, uh, you know, for fans of the fight game. And then the next fight after that, this is when business picked up after Bam Bam and Lawler. It was um, Alex Pereira and Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland, he's talking all wild. You know, he's trying to make that claim that, hey, maybe he should be next in line for a title shot after Izzy Cannonier. But this is one where I like to say everything's pro wrestling, where you have the guy, the rival of Israel Adesanya, Alex Pereira, who's knocked him out in kickboxing. And it's just setting up for a dream match. So coming in, what were your thoughts on this? And did you see Pereira looking so dominant as he did? I didn't see him looking that dominant, you know, leading into it. I, I was kind of leaning towards Strickland thinking, okay, maybe, you know, because it sounded like he respected the guy's power and that he, you know, I, to my imagination, I thought, okay, he's going to come in here with a good game plan, uh, you know, and, and try and maybe get on top of this guy, take him down to the ground, you know, and, and uh, try and get some ground and pound going or something like that because he talked about the length that this guy has and, you know, the power that he even has, too, that, you know, guys don't really want to stand with him. And then he went in there and stood with him. Um, you know, so that was the kind of crazy thing. And he didn't really – he wasn't really playing much defense. He was walking right in there, 
almost like he didn't respect his power. And then, obviously, Pereira put that one on display for him, smacked him with that massive left hook, and then threw a couple more down there on the way down to seal the deal. I mean, that was, to me, just shocking to see him go in there uh, with that kind of attitude. It almost, he honestly felt like Pereira was kind of sitting back like, hey, what's this guy doing? Why is he, he's not playing any defense? Like, is he trying to set me up for something? You know, what the deal was there. And then uh, he finally just unloaded on him. Um, so, yeah, real impressive with that one. I would be willing to say we're probably going to see that knockout of Adesanya from the kickboxing matchup between the two of them at least a thousand times before they actually <laughs> step in the octagon. <laughs> but one of the things with Pereira that, like, that also, yeah, Strickland, he's coming in. It's like, bro, why are you? Why are your hands down? Why are you trying yeah. to stalk him? I just got to ask you. There's only there's no other way to say it. Does Pereira scare you? Because he scares me. Someone that can just ha- he's that excellent with his striking, and he's just so emotionless after the fight where I'm just like, hey, this guy's a little bit scary, and if I'm out of Sanya, I know he believes in his ability, but hey, he should be sweating a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, you have to be. Look, like, no matter what time it was in your career, if someone slept you, you're going to remember that, and that's no knock at Anasanya. I mean, we all know how dominant of a champion he has been, you know, and the skill set that he brings to the table, but for someone to be able to say, I knocked you out, you have no rebuttal to that. You can go ahead and say, oh, that was a million years, whatever. Well, it still happened. Like, he still got knocked out. So, that's definitely some sort of obstacle that I'm sure, you know, he's going to be using. Maybe it's something he uses to continue to fuel himself because, again, he's going to be hearing about it nonstop. And, you know, again, how much weight can we really put in it for the fact that it was a million years ago? But, again, it did still happen. But, yeah, I'm with you, man. That guy scares me. <laughs> he just is literally he's a brick wall, you know, no emotion whatsoever. He, I didn't see him his facial expression change once uh, the entire lead-up to the fight through all the press conferences, media day, all that stuff. I mean, the guy is just laser focused, and even Sean Strickland said it. He's like, if you're, you know, at an ATM, that guy walks up behind you, like you're gonna be scared. You know, <laughs> like, he's a savage. And, and again, you know, now seeing what he did to Strickland, you see the power and the explosiveness that he has. Uh, you know, so I think this is one that you know, Adesanya said he wants that fight. You know, this is one that I think is going to be a lot of fun covering the lead up to it. But also in that one, I think he's a guy that will take the fight to Adesanya, and that's something we haven't quite seen in a while. All right, in the co-main event, it was a highly anticipated trilogy, and it almost didn't live up to the billing. Watching the fight, you're thinking Alexander Volkanovsky, Mass Holloway. You're thinking, man, why did we even need this third fight after two wins for Volkanovsky? But Alex the Great, he came out and he put on a clinic with Max Holloway out there. What did you think? Because that was one for me. I did not see him being that dominant. No, yeah, I agree 100% with you on that one, too. Like, that was... You know, we had seen how close the two previous fights were. You know, there's there's plenty of arguments out there that uh, Max should have won the second one. Um, you know, and there's people on both sides of the fence on that one. And that's the deal where, so I came into this one expecting a knockdown, dragout type of fight. You know, go the distance. Both of these guys are going to be so close. You know, split decision. We don't really know who's going to win. But I mean, there was literally no doubt in this one. Honestly, almost from start to finish, and it, it was it's tough because people don't do that to Max Holloway. You know, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so, I mean, as you noted, uh, Volkanovski left no doubt in this one, very clearly made a statement that there is no need to see a number four in this uh, fight. You know, we don't, we don't need to see them do this one again. I mean, he just heats them up, and it was just such an impressive performance. Again, you know, locking himself in as the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the world right now <clears throat> with a performance like that against a guy like Max, who we all know he claims to be the best boxer in UFC and all these different things. I mean, he just went in there with one heck of a game plan. His movement was on point. He was able to stick and move and get out of there. I mean, he just made Max look so slow. 
And that is not something we see from Max because, again, he's a guy that's got so much skill when you're standing and exchanging punches. It was really impressive to watch that performance from Volk. Yeah, and Volk, you said he's probably top pound for pound in your eyes. At 145, I want to see him make that move up to 155 rather than go down to 135 and maybe try to challenge Sterling because I do yeah. think that Oliveira would be a more interesting fight. So if that matchup were to happen, just right now at the top of your head, who do you have winning that one? Man, that one's hard. I've had that conversation with my co-anchor Brian, you know, a couple times. And that one, I honestly think you flip a coin. I mean, I have a ton of respect for Volk and what his game is and what he brings to the table. But Oliveira is just a savage. And, and so, like, if you're asking me today, oh, as much as it hates me, like, I hate to say it, I think I'm taking Oliveira in that fight. But I, I could see this one going either way because, again, Volk has been so dominant. I think we also forget, like, this is a guy that at one point was 240 pounds. So you go ahead and get to a point where he can add even more weight onto his frame. He's going to bring even more power to the table. I, I just think that uh, Pereira is more of a well-rounded, has many more layers to his, his uh, game, I think, you know, in that matchup. So that's where I would lean. But it's like it's by a hair, man. I'm literally flipping a coin and, you know, hoping that I come out on top in that one. <laughs> All right, and let's move over to the main event where the entrance of Israel Adesanya was the best part of the fight as he took on Jared Cannonier, who wasn't willing to exchange. Where you saw the other fights that even even though let's say Sean Strickland he gets knocked down he gets knocked out he got knocked out because he was willing to trade and engage. Max Holloway he was willing to at least allow himself to get hit because he was trying to land some shots. But I feel like Cannonier he was just happy to be in a championship fight and just not take any chances. What did you see from Cannoneer that was just so ineffective or what he could have done yeah. to win this fight? Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I, again, agree with you, man. I mean, he just sat there and wasn't, wasn't willing to, to take that fight to Adesanya. It was almost sitting, sitting back hoping that Israel would make a mistake, and that's not his game. I mean, he, he is such an intelligent fighter. You know, he's not a guy that's going to put himself in a bad situation. He just does not do that. And he doesn't have to. He's the champ. As a challenger, you need to take it to him. And even more so, uh, Cannonier's 38 years old. Like, you know, look, I, I have not never stepped in the octagon. I'm not going to sit here and act like, you know, I, I know what it's like being in there. But at 38 years old, this is probably your last title shot if you lose, you know. So, to me, what do you have to lose by just going in there? And obviously, you don't want to get knocked out. You don't want to end up looking up at the lights and everything. But you have to be able to take the fight to him. And that, in my mind, is how you end up making him make a mistake. You know, you, you bring it to him, you maybe can get him out of sorts. But, again, this is a guy that strikes from every which angle possible. He has so many, you know, layers in his game and so many different tools to pull from. But I expected to see Cannonier, and we saw at times, you know, he had uh, some control in the fight. Not necessarily he didn't do anything with it. But um, I, I expected him to kind of get on him a little more, get heavy, and maybe try and take him down and try and win the fight in that area. Uh, you know, maybe with some ground and pound to try and get him on that sense. But he just sat back and was okay with kind of being at distance. You know, Adesanya managed to use those kicks almost like a jab for himself and, and keep him at distance and just pick and pop here and there. Not the most exciting fight in the world just because I think Canyonier was so unwilling to take it to him and push the issue in that fight. All right, with Adesanya, how fast? Because we know what the next fight's got to be. It's got to be Alec yeah. Pereira. But... How fast can the UFC turn around and make this fight? Because neither guy really, you know, had that much damage. Neither guy's going to have a, a weight cut to try to make. So just maybe giving him a couple of months rest, how fast can we see this fight in your eyes? 
I'd imagine pretty soon, as you noted. I mean, they, neither one of them took really any anything, any damage of note. Um, you know, so I would say maybe this is something we see in, I don't know, what, two, three months? Uh, I mean, I, I would hope we see it soon just because, you know, again, the hype from this one's not going to die down because any fight that Adesanya's in is going to, you know, draw a lot of eyes. But I would imagine we see this one fairly quickly just because, you know, it's both fresh. We got the big knockout victory by Ferreira in there, and then you can kind of start and, and build up all everything that goes along with this one, uh, you know, and, and build off of the momentum uh, from this last one. I mean, we saw the press conference. You know, it's, it's kind of tough when, you know, the guy doesn't speak English and Adesanya's going back and forth with him. But we can see plenty of those death stares, you know, from Pereira just staring into Adesanya's soul leading up to this one. So, again, no real damage considerable taken by either one of these guys. I'd imagine we see them fairly quickly because, you know, also they're in shape now. You know, they could start their fight camp, their training fairly quickly. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping so soon just because that is a fight that I really do want to see, you know, how it all shakes out. All right, this has been Jesse Merrick from News 3 right here in Vegas. Jesse, before I let you go, what do you have coming out that the people need to be on the lookout for? Man, well, today for us, you know, the Raiders are announcing their new president, so I'm actually going to be heading over to Allegiant in about an hour or so here, uh, you know, to go over there for that press conference. And then also we've got NBA Summer League tipping off tonight. Uh, so Brian and I will be out there tonight and, well, for the next 10 days covering everything that NBA Summer League has to offer for all the local kids that are playing that as well. So uh, looking forward to it. It's going to be a big uh, couple weeks for us out here. Oh, yeah, it's it's a busy time with Summer League and the Raiders announcing a new team president. I mean, hey, man, make sure there's gas in the car because I know you're going to be doing a bit of driving. <laughs> exactly. Got to make sure I've got up. <laughs> All right, Jesse, thanks for joining me today. For sure. Thanks, man. Have a good one. And that was Jesse Merrick from News 3. And when we come back, we're going to be joined by the illustrious Harry Ruiz right here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Don't go anywhere. Wardlow, the foot on the chest. Welcome back to The Fight Game with DeMond Cotton. All right, and we are back here on The Fight Game, and I'm excited to introduce my next guest, oh, a co-worker, if not that, Harry Ruiz. Harry, how you doing? And I consider you a good friend. I'm a fan good of yours, DeMond. Since the, I yours. saw you at the Raider games, I remember telling you, you do a great job on Q's show, and I'm glad to now be here on your show which that means you're going up the food chain. So keep doing your thing, man. Congratulations, and Vegas needed this. Yes, Vegas thank needed you so this. much. And not only, we, we just had Jesse Merrick from News 3 on talking about UFC 276, and now we're going to get into your field of expertise, AEW that rejoined joining us in. Thank you, Toby, for that. Wardlow winning the TNT Championship. And I felt like after this MJF split that they had to put the rocket on Wardlow's back. Have you thought that his push has been since the split from MJF. Well, the MJF situation ended up screwing up Wardlow a little bit more because everybody was focused more on his MJF saying, is he leaving? What's going on with him? And folks forgot about Wardlow and they didn't do much with him. They had that little 20 on one match against security guards a couple of weeks ago. And I'm very happy they gave him this TNT title opportunity, and he's the guy right now. The fans love him. I was there at Dynamite. I was there at Double or Nothing, and the crowd goes crazy for him, and they got to put that rocket ship on his back and ride him and go far with him. He's the guy right now. Yeah, and it's also he's got one of those 
crossover appeals because my friend Lo, who's the host of the Wrestling Wind Down podcast, she's got a little set of merch, War Daddy. And, you know, even for the ladies, Wardlow is a draw. So it's one of those, you know. Well, I won't wear one of those. I'll wear a Wardlow shirt, but not a Wardaddy not one. Wardaddy. But that's cool. The woman, the ladies exactly. woman. Even like the him. ladies are like, hey, Wardlow is someone that is attracting the hardcore wrestling fans because he can work in the ring. But also, if you look at him when your girl's watching, she's going to say, oh, so who's that? And so, I'll tell you this. He's super friendly with the fans as well. He signed every autograph, took every picture with everybody that approached him out here in Las Vegas. I'm telling you because I asked for a picture with him uh, after Dynamite, and then I saw tons of people asking for it both on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. And he was super approachable, so that's good on him. And his former boss that he had to break away from, MJF, when do you think we're going to see MJF again in AEW? He had to, it's like he did the job for Wardlow at Double or Nothing. He's like, I'll come in and I'll have a squash match. No problem. Okay, I'm not going to be that big of an a-hole. He, then he cuts the promo of the year, and we haven't seen him since. And I had paid for that meet and greet. I was in line when they canceled the meet and greet, and I was pissed <laughs> off. I was like, what the hell with this prick? I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go get a refund, and hopefully I meet somebody else. But that's the name of the game. It's like now we don't know if it's a work. We don't know if it's of what's going on, if it's real. So as it's been, what, a month since we last saw him on TV, since the Dynamite at the forum. So they're playing it the right way. Right now, we don't know, but the cool thing about AEW is it doesn't matter which injuries you got, which guys are out because of situations like MJF, they still put a good product on TV because of how deep their roster is and they know how to use them. You, know, you said they planned it the right way. I don't, know if, I don't know if they're playing. I don't know how much of a work this is. I think that this is almost um, Sasha Banks' Naomi territory where they have it in WWE where I think the indefinite suspension may be real. And you know what? AEW's playing it that way. They took him off of his roster page. They're not showing him on the open of the show. They're not talking about him on the show. Once he cut the promo, they went to commercial break. They came back. They didn't even talk about it. So they're playing it the right way. You go over to WWE, and they're calling Sasha and Naomi unprofessional. They still got him on their roster page. You don't know what the situation is over there, even though there's reports that saying they got released. It's like, okay, you got no clue. AEW, they're like, all right. We got this situation. Let's play into it. Let's not just uh, make believe that it's not happening. And did you watch last night's Dynamite? Absolutely, man. It's the only TV show besides Dodgers baseball that I watch religiously once it goes on TV every day. All right, so you're going to have to fill me in because I wasn't able to catch John Moxley as he defended the AEW title, well, the interim title, for the first time last night against Brody King. What did you think of that match? Because House of Black, I still feel like they're still muttering. They're still... Haven't found their way yet, but this is a big opportunity for Brody King and AW. Yeah, well, Buddy, I think, is hurt. So right now they only got Brody, Alistair, or, well, uh, the, his new name, Malachi. Malachi. Yeah, I met him, and I called him Alistair. I was like, oh, I'm so dumb. Uh, Malachi Black and Julia Hart, but they only had Brody out there. So that was pretty cool that it was literally a one-on-one -on -one match. It was very physical, different to what we're used to watching in AEW with high-flying, incredible moves from very athletic guys. These two guys, it was a fight, and it was real good. And the way it ended with the choke at the end, Brody sold it. Very, very well. I, I like the match. It was different, and that's what I like about AEW. You see different stuff often, and even when you see something even way different, it makes it even more special. So I enjoyed it, different than what we're used to seeing, but AEW delivered with that main event.
And then with Moxley having this interim title, what do you think that they set him up for this? Because there's only a I don't know how long CM Punk's going to be out. They haven't told us anything. So where, where do you think that this run's going to go for Moxley? I mean, ideally, you have the unification match in September because they usually got all out in the Chicago land, either in Schaumburg or hopefully again for the first time, I'm sorry, again in Chicago, but now for real in the United Center with CM Punk having a huge pop against Moxley, who's a fan favorite. That's your dream scenario, but we got to see if Punk is available or not. But for now, just keep feeding Moxley good guys that he can wrestle with and he can have good stories with. Of course, Brody, he was a, what do they call it? The... Royal, whatever. It was like a Royal Rumble. The Battle Royale. Um, it was something. Yeah, it's different. It, Rampage. Something, something. It was two rings. It was interesting. It was different. It was an and interesting concept yeah. where you have the red ring and the blue ring, and the winner of both rings now can come and battle it out. It was him and Darby Allen, and I love how that finished, too, with a choke because sometimes you can say, hey, like we saw it this past week at 276 UFC. You look at Cannoneer and Adesanya, most people are probably going to pick Cannoneer because he's muscled up. But when you have the guy that's 350 like Brody King and the guy that's 150 like Darby Allen, come on, finish. let's finish this up fast because I'm not believing that Darby Allen's putting up a fight against Brody King. And Darby's like Teflon. You can do whatever you want with that guy, and he's still going to be over with the crowd. The fans are still going to love him. And he, I mean, heck, he does the most dangerous stuff on his own body. So it's like a 350 guy ain't going to do nothing that he by himself is going to put himself in risk. So it was the right decision. It was a good match. And now we got to see what kind of story's coming up because you got to go with the heel side. Is Miro next? That would be an entertaining match, Miro against Mox, or who is who's coming up to challenge Mox? Because um, Wardlow, he already said, I want to go for the real title. That's not the real title; it's an interim title. So for now, he's going to play along with along with the TNT. So you got great scenarios in AEW right now. And that's another thing that I hope that they don't do. I don't just want to see someone win a number one contender match of some sorts, and then they just challenge Moxley. Give me a story. Give me a rivalry, something that we can look forward to seeing other than Moxley putting on a great match on every other Dynamite. Which, unfortunately, is something that AEW doesn't have in the scale that they should. They should be telling more stories like Kingston and Jericho, which they kept expanding on okay, I'm, okay, yesterday. I, I'm sorry I said it then, because I'm getting tired of that story. No, <laughs> Give me I a know. break with that story. I know, but Blood every and time... should have been the end-all, be-all. Exactly, because you already had that anarchy in the arena, which, by the way, was fantastic. I was there. I was upstairs. And the only match... the. People in my section stood up for the whole match was that one, and it was a blast. And then I was like, all right, they're closing it in, in the Blood and Guts match. But that was a six-on-six. Six. I'm like, all right, give me a one-on-one -on -one and let Kingston have his moment, and then you finish it. But for now, let's keep on going with, uh, with this story and build more. Give me a story with Moxley. Again, we're being joined by Harry Rees here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. And Harry, something that AEW, we like to give him a lot of credit. It's new. It's innovative. But I hate it when they go to the old WWE well, where Christian Cage, he's doing good work. He turned on Jungle Boy. He got Luchasaurus to don the All Black. So why do we need to see Matt Hardy come out and have a verbal back and forth 
with Christian Cage. This isn't 1999. I don't want to see it. I think that Christian's doing great mic work and heel work. Hey, he put on a black turtleneck. How heelish can he be? So he's doing great stuff. I don't want to see Matt Hardy. Get Matt Hardy away from him. You know what? I think that they just want to be controversial and have those lines thrown in about Jeff Hardy and give more heat to Christian Cage, which, by the way, at first I was like, ah, I don't agree. But then he kept going. I was like, hey, you know what? Yeah, it's pretty good. When he was talking about Jungle Boy's family, I was like, oh, it might be going too far. Then the next week he comes back and speaks about the family a little more. All right. But you know what? Keep it there. And now they're going to the Hardy story. So I just got a feeling they just want to put as much heat as possible on Christian Cage for when Jungle Boy comes back. And Jungle Boy doesn't have a tag team partner anymore. Matt Hardy doesn't have a tag team partner right now. So my guess is we're going to get Luchasaurus and Christian Cage versus Jungle Boy and Matt Hardy once JB is ready to come back. And I know that the, excuse me, I was going to say the Lucha Bros. I know that the, uh, dang, I can't even Lucha, think of their name. No, no wait, not the Lucha the Bros. I'm Jungle really, Express or? No, I'm really Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson. I oh, am really the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks, excuse My me. God, the best tag team in the yes, world. They're the best tag team in the world. But the reason I was going to mention them is that when it comes to the tag team wrestling, I think that FTR, as they challenged Death Before Dishonor for Ring of Honor, they challenged the Briscoes for, to a rematch. And I'm more excited about FTR than I am about the Young Bucks. So how do you see this AEW tag team landscape looking? I mean, the tag team division is ridiculous in AEW. You see the amount of talent they have and the attention they put on it. They let them have good matches. FTR, they were in WWE shaving each other's backs. Okay, that happened one time. It's it's one time. People say, like, oh, they were a comedy act. They were being misused. They held the NXT Tag Team Championships no, twice. No, I love they them held, in NXT. They held the Raw and SmackDown Tag Team titles. So sometimes WWE wants you to do some ha-ha. But that doesn't mean that they were just terribly misused. All right, what was the other thing they did? They did the, the Icy Hot. Something like that. Okay, a little bit. They, they but in the, I was main, like, but in the main event picture, as far as the tag team scene goes. That was so, what they thought about tag team wrestling. And right now, you see what they think about tag team wrestling. It's like, all right, we got the Usos, we got the Street Profits, and who else do we put the the spotlight on? The women's division? All right, we don't have tag teams. We got tag team titles. We leave, we'll leave them vacant while, while the situation's going on. AW, they do put attention on it. We go back to the same thing. We would like a little bit more stories because the matches are amazing, but we want more stories. Why the heck are the Young Bucks going out and challenging two teams? doesn't make sense. It's going to be a three-way next week. Yes, and Keith, you've got Keith Swerve in our Swerve. glory yeah. and Team Taz with Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs. I'm not excited for that match. That's why I wanted to dive d delve into FTR because you've got oh, yeah. a tag team that's holding championships that are not the AEW tag team championships, but they are the more entertaining and the more relevant tag team than your actual champs are. I just think they're going to build it up to FTR against Young Bucks 2. Which, by the way, the first one was incredible with the limited crowd. Now can you imagine... 18,000 potentially in All Out if they do the United Center again in Chicago. Going nuts for FTR. And you know the Young Bucks. I'm a fan of the Young Bucks. They come out and I'll cheer for them. But then you want to boo them with all the heel tactics they use, which are good. They, they're douchebags when they want to be douchebags, and they're really good <laughs> at it. So it's like you cheer them when they come out, and then it's like, ah, oh, these guys. So I think they're building towards that. They want to have that match be the match with all the titles on the line. All right, Harry, we're running out of time here, so before I get you out, I just want to throw a little rapid fire at you. What's the one storyline or program that you want to see in AEW that they haven't tapped into yet? They haven't tapped into yet? Oh, my God, that's a good question. 
Uh, I want to see Darby go against a guy like Keith Lee right now. Or or a guy like Swerve. Darby against Swerve would be good if Swerve ends up going heel. That matchup would be good, and I think they could tell a really good story. All right, and Claudio Castagnoli, formerly Cesaro in WWE, he came over. He stands tall with the Blackpool Combat Club at the end of Forbidden Door. What do you see his potential being here in AEW? Because that's one of the things that you also said, it. hey, the, the FTR, they were shaving backs in WWE. Everyone thinks that every former WWE guy who didn't get to hold the big gold or the WWE championship was mis, was misused over in WWE. So what's his ceiling in AEW? I think he can potentially be a world champ. And you got stories right there within the Blackpool Combat Club. They're not going to be together forever. I mean, you got Daniel Bryan coming out of the heel side. You got Moxie come out, coming out through the crowd. He's a babyface. Yuta coming out through a babyface. I think you can potentially end up splitting him up, having Yuta and Mox, and then Claudio and Daniel Bryan do their thing as heels, and then do the Claudio against Eddie Kingston to go back to their Shikara days. It's going to be cool. And then you split them up and have Claudio go to the top. And we go back to the thing. WWE, they're all huge guys. Claudio was like an average size guy. You come to AEW, and you're one of the big guys. <laughs> You're a giant. That's one of my things with Luchasaurus. I'll remember this tweet. Braun Strowman, back when he was still in WWE, he says, oh, man, what, what match with a big man do you guys want to see me have? And someone tweets at him, Luchasaurus, and he says, a real big man. Because Luchasaurus, I've stood next to Luchasaurus yep. in person. I've shared a locker room with him. He's about a good 6'5". But, you, you know, put the shoes on. Maybe he's 6'7", you know, with, the, with his boots. Yeah, you're But he's going, not a giant. Yeah, he stood right next to Jack H- Jake Hager, same size. Exactly. Oh, and then they've got that at Fighter Fest too. The um, battle week. of of we the people. We the people. If they, you think they're going to give us that moment as fans? Oh, I think they should do the same thing as Jericho. Go with the line of "That's a bad idea from bad creative." Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, when they were chanting "We the people" when Hager came out at first yeah. week two of Dynamite, I was like, "No, that's a bad idea from bad creative." They should do the same thing, or maybe Hager lean into it and then have Claudio go like, "Hell no." He's a baby face right now. People love him. Yeah, he, he can do whatever he wants to do. As long as he gets to swing in, people are going to be happy. Harry, I could talk to you all day, but I know you've got to run. You've got to hit after this. And then we've got the announcement of the Raiders' new presidents, and I know you're going to be over for that. But what do you else What else do you have coming out that people should be looking for? I got the JT The Brick Show tomorrow, noon to 2, so catch that. I'll be at the Raider introductory press conference in about 30, 40 minutes. Be there and get ready for 1 o'clock and tune into all our sister stations. They'll have great coverage with it. All right, and that's Harry Ruiz. Thank you for joining me on the show today, man. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for the invite, brother. I can talk AEW all day long and talk to you all day long. You guys are the best. All right, there's an open invitation anytime you want to come back. That's been Harry Ruiz, and we're going to be right back with maybe a few good minutes with Jared if we can track him down. This is the fight game on 1230 The Game. All right, and we are back here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. We've got the full crew, Damon, Toby, Jared and now, hey Jared, now it's time to get into a few good minutes with Jared. Ah, no, I see what the issue there is that the uh, volume is down on the board there. Let's get it on. There we are. Got a beat back too. Good. There we go. Let's get I, it on. I want to. I want to get a beat going for uh, a few good minutes with Jared. Maybe maybe when you make the big announcement. Uh, oh yes, we'll do. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. Okay, so. I wanted to talk to you about this because it's really weird. At what point would you get your first tattoo? Ah, uh, man, I'm 26 right now. Toby, you have tattoos. Toby, turn on your mic. 
Toby, yeah, when did you get your first tattoo? I got my first tattoo when I was 15, and I'm actually going to Utah today to get my second tattoo. All See, right. he's got plans. I got my first one at 18. Uh, it was paid for by a girl I was seeing, um, and I'm slowly adding more. But Aaron Rodgers decided to get his first tattoo, and it is just a weird mess of, like, iconography that I'm not 100% sure. He says in his Instagram post, I can't wait to someday share the deep meaning of all of the art pieces that I identify with in this tattoo. Do you feel like late 30s is a little late? Let's to just, just say sort of, 40. Yeah, let's just say, do you feel like 40 is like, all right, most people get a Corvette, but okay, I guess you're getting into the Illuminati. Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch because that tattoo basically seems I I've seen some people make the jokes for it, but to me it basically just says, "Hey man, have you heard Kyrie Irving talk? <laughs> Give me that. <laughs> Give me that on my arm. Like I want to look. I want a tattoo that that describes me as the deepest, most conscientious." thinker i like i am just so deep what i am saying you're not on the level mm-hmm. yet it's almost that aaron Rodgers is on that Kyrie plane of hey you guys it might take a couple of years for you guys to catch up to what i'm saying but what they're saying is absolute nothing yes so it, the tattoo fits it, i mean it's it's perfect he hashtagged it astrology hashtag the elements that's something it makes it begs the what does that, <laughs> that mean, mean? Like, are we talking about the elements like the book? Are we talking about the elements like boron? Like, what are we? What? What are we talking about the elements? No, no, the elements that control the free world. Exactly. Your mind is not free, and it's just like, thank God you can throw a football. I don't know if you remember these commercials, but Kobe, he had a lot of creative control with his Nike commercials. And then there's one. He's talking to a seminar. Kobe's giving a seminar, and he says to the crowd, "Are you a different animal?" And the same beast. And Kanye's in the crowd, and Kanye says, what the blank does that mean, Kobe Bryant? <laughs> so Aaron Rodgers, I'm the Kanye in this situation. I am his audience. Aaron Rodgers, I want to hear you talk. I, I, every time he would come on the Pat McAfee show, I'm going to listen. I'm tuning in. What does he have to say? But every time I feel I leave with, what the blank does that mean, Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, so that was that was my, that was my question to you. Like, you're 40 years old. Is it time to just be like, I'm a tattoo guy now? If I don't, and then it's such a big piece. It's not something that's yeah. like, oh, I want to get my wife's initials or anything like that. No, that is a big art piece that he has there. For myself personally, if I don't get a tattoo before the age of 30, I'm just not getting one. Yeah, that that, that makes sense. And I'm like, I, I have the t-shirt rule. Every single, every single piece of art I have has to be covered up by a t-shirt because at some point I'm going to be around my grandma. You've went swimming with your grandma, right? I mean, I know your situational. You've you've definitely your grandmother lives across the street from you. So, oh, her eyes aren't that good, so she can't see the tattoos when you're like swimming in the pool. <laughs> right, but if I'm like getting up close, you better best believe I've got like a shawl on. All right, if that's all that it takes, <laughs> and that's been a few good minutes with Jared. Before we close out the show, a few minutes left in the show as we're going to just take it all the way up to the top of the hour. This is going to be the last episode of the fight game on 12.30, the game. Moment of silence. No, not indefinitely, but at 11 to 12. As next week, we will be moving to 12 p.m. noon. High noon is when this show's going to start, noon to 1 o'clock. The same crew that, you listen, that you're listening to here today, 
But just starting an hour later, as we make room as the football season approaches us for football laugh time with Greg. So that's going to be exciting. So, hey, we knew this day would come behind the scenes. And now we're just, hey, this might be an even better spot moving back to 12. Yeah, we got a great lead in, and Greg, they're gonna do. Fo- he's gonna do football, and we're gonna do fighting, and it's just gonna be like, hey, start your lunch at eleven, take it, take a two-hour lunch, and hang out with us till the, uh, hang out with us till till uh, you know one, and just don't let your boss know. All right, and Toby, let's hit the music as we are just about wrapping up here because you know hey time is running out and we all have a busy day here in the building as we have the Raiders as they are going to announce the new team president and that's really going to be exciting I I think it's already been leaking out I think the review journals already put it out but hey that press conference and we're going to have to have that ready to go for unnecessary roughness from 2 to 4 p.m. today usually 2 to 5 but 2 to 4 today on Raider Nation Radio if you want to hear more of me please do And this has been the fight game. Don't forget, next week we are going to be starting at noon, noon to one. And I do want to give a rest in peace to James Caan. You may know him from The Godfather as he was Sonny Corleone or The Dad and Elf. He was Buddy's father. So also giving a rest in peace to James Caan as well. A nice tribute there. This has been the fight game on 1230 The Game. I'm Damon Cotton. Protect yourself at all times, everybody.